You're listening to the podcast of the Biopharmaceutical Section of the American Statistical Association. Statistics. 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 Hi, folks, and welcome to the show. This is Richard Zink, and you're listening to the podcast of the Biopharmaceutical Section of the American Statistical Association. This is episode 48, and it features a conversation I had with Stephen Bamford, Chris Hurley, and James Johnson about Fuse, the pharmaceutical user software exchange. Fuse has grown substantially in recent years, and I enjoyed hearing about all of their important initiatives. I hope you will as well. Before we get started with the conversation, I want to highlight that Thursday, December 7th, is the deadline to submit proposals for parallel sessions short courses, and town halls for the 2018 Regulatory Industry Statistics Workshop. Send those proposals in now. And as a reminder for these discussions, please note that people are sharing their personal opinions, so please don't overinterpret their comments as representing the groups or organizations with which they participate. Now let's start the show. Hi folks, our topic today is FUSE, the Pharmaceutical Users Software Exchange. Today I'm talking with Stephen Bamford, Director of Information and Knowledge Management at Janssen Pharmaceuticals and a founding member of FUSE, Chris Hurley, Senior Manager of Global Data Operations Systems and Standards at MMS and America's Director at FUSE, and James Johnson, President at Summit Analytical and 2018 Chair of the FUSE Connect Conference in Raleigh. Good afternoon to you and uh, thanks for being here. Before we get started talking about FUSE, uh, let's get to know a little bit about each of you. How did you become involved and end up in the pharmaceutical industry? Uh, Stephen, why don't we start with you? Yeah, thanks so much. Hello, everyone. Um, I went to university, like I guess most people here, and I did a degree in statistics. Uh, I then had some internships working at the uh, Welsh plant breeding station, looking at uh, at uh, statistics in, 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 in crop agriculture. Uh, in particular, we were looking to see if we could make, uh, make um, uh, seeds more drought resistant. And uh, during that internship, I was applying for jobs in, in the petrochemical area and also in the pharmaceutical area. And uh, that's where I came across a job at Pfizer. And in 1995, I, uh, I, I started as a statistical programmer working in Pfizer. Very good. And Chris, uh, how about you? Okay, thanks. And um, thank you for uh, allowing me to, to be a part of this podcast. Um, I started back in the early 80s going to school for my associate's degree in clinical information systems. I, uh, I took that associate's degree and found a job as a computer operator for a grocery distributor. I learned about everything about a 0.4 mini mainframe you could possibly learn. Uh, I, I also taught myself basic. And in working with the programmers, I realized that's what I wanted to do. And so eventually I took on a job at automotive marketing. Uh, growing up in the Detroit area, the Motor City, that seemed like a natural fit. I loved cars. My boss went to Warner Lambert, and he kind of drafted me. He said, Chris, I need you to come out here. I need a, a good programmer I can depend on for, for some of these uh, 
these projects that he needed. And so that was around 1990, and I've been in the business ever since. Very good. And James, last but not least, uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, uh, Thank you for ha ha having us. Uh, uh, please call me Jim. Uh, okay. Everybody else does. Sure. Uh, and I wish I was president of Summit Analytical, but I'm just a biostatistician and pharmacokineticist, so <laughs> been there a while, though. Um, I have a, an interesting history similar to what Stephen has. Uh, I started out in the 70s as a biologist and uh, worked in, uh, biologic, in biology labs and uh, actually worked as an, an environmental biologist for Amico Oil from 76 to 79 and got very interested in statistics and programming and went back and got a master's degree and then uh, was still working at Amico when they started to move people around and I ended up taking a job at SAS uh, for a couple of years. And I, I go back to SAS software on SAS 79. I still have the manual, by the way. Uh, the strange part about it is one of my clients that I was doing tech support and teaching statistics on uh, was a pharmaceutical company. And after having done so many training courses on the early SAS software with them, they invited me to join them. And I have been doing clinical research since 1984. So, uh, and I've uh, never looked back, love it. And then ended up finishing a PhD in biomass and continued my career in there. So uh, that's how I ended up in the business. What's well, fascinating, the, uh, the varied backgrounds that uh, everybody comes from uh, and where we end up. Uh, can you, each of you give us a little bit more detail about your current work responsibilities? Uh, Jim, why don't we start with you? Okay. Uh, I've spent uh, a lot of time at pharmaceutical companies, and now I'm a consultant through with Summit Analytical. And my basic responsibilities are to provide uh, consulting and support for uh, trial design and analysis, primarily um, preclinical and early development work. I do a lot of toxicokinetic work right now. Um, I, I spend a lot of time writing uh, early development protocols, uh, analyzing pharmacokinetic data, and uh, early early development work is what I do with my clients. I've I've pretty good stable of about four clients right now that keep me pretty busy. Very good. And Chris, what do you do in the day to day? Well, I've managed stats programming for years. And I have a, a real knack for developing people and leading new services and software and initiatives. I also have a very strong CETA standards background. I've even been on a lab-controlled terminology team. So technically, I guess you could consider me like a jack-of-all-trades. Well, I worked uh, in our stats programming department, and I fostered a great culture of teamwork and collaboration. And so what we did was, um, because of my background and and because of the um, the way I, I can get to new things, um, I love to be a pioneer, and I love to get small teams together mm -hmm. and blaze trails to solutions and new processes. So we created a new department, and they put me at the head of that department, and that's what I'm doing now. Great. And Stephen, how about yourself? My job uh, splits into three. Uh, 
um, for part of my job, I head up a, uh, a team of specialized um, programmers, uh, both in, uh, in SAS and in R, and we do uh, central surveillance and, um, and study risk monitoring, uh, looking for trends, both, both, uh, both live and predictive of, uh, of data quality. So that's one third of my job. Another third of the job is for the department that I'm in. I look after the um, uh, corporate metrics, uh, both the KPIs and the KRIs, and, uh, and generally uh, um, metric management. But I also head up uh, uh, data transparency for clinical data for the whole of uh, the J&J group, which includes medical devices and, uh, and consumer, as well as uh, pharmaceuticals. That includes not only the, um, the data sharing with researchers, uh, we do that in collaboration with Yale University, but also um, for regulatory requirements such as the EMA Policy 70 and the forthcoming uh, Health Canada um, regulatory requirements that are currently being worked on at the moment. So uh, a varied job that keeps me busy, but, uh, but one that I thoroughly enjoy. Very I'd like good. to add something to this. Sure. Uh, what you've heard is that, yeah, we all we all have a varied background in here, but there's one thing that we all do now, and that is, uh, even in my role more as a trialist, uh, I have to be aware of the data standards. We, we it, it's a it's part of our life now, and um, that's I think in this role that we we all have, and it, it is varied. That is one common thread that we all work with now. Yeah, thanks, and sh thanks for sharing that point. And uh, yeah, I'm uh, very involved with the data standards myself, and uh, I'm uh, I personally love it being able to know where to look for things, you know, what to expect when I get sets of data now. So I'm a, I'm a big fan of it myself, and. Um, it's actually a good segue into uh, talking about uh, some of the larger work you do uh, at Fuse. Uh, so you're, you've all been involved with Fuse, the uh, the pharmaceutical users software exchange. And can you describe for us your your current roles and any major past roles you've had with this organization? Uh, so Chris, why don't we start with you on this question? Yeah, you know, and, and to Jim's point about understanding what's going on in the standards world, uh, it's really nice to know people out there that have that understanding, and that's what Fuse gives. They give us the collaboration and the opportunity to share with others. And so I went to my first single-day event at Astellas, and I, I was a co-author on a presentation on traceability. It was it was an excellent event, and I was, I was hooked. And then later... When I heard that there was an opportunity to, to volunteer as a co-lead, um, as a co-chair, I'm sorry, uh, I, I, I definitely approached them and, 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 and took that role. And then eventually I was able to, um, to, to volunteer and help lead the single day events in the U.S. It was an outstanding opportunity and I, I was very pleased. I got to meet so many wonderful people and and providing so many wonderful events. Eventually I joined the board of directors and these are such wonderful people on the board. They do a great job providing leadership across every facet of our growing collaborative community. As America's director, I work with the board, our office, the, the computational science work groups and many regional volunteers 
who all do a fantastic job with all the planning, the logistical tasks, and everything else that's needed to put on a great event. I get to meet and work with our venue hosts and our sponsors, who we appreciate so much for their support and contributions. It's been it's just been wonderful being part of Fuse. I, I'm so enthused, and, and we're doing great things, and it's really, uh, it's, in my opinion, a blessing to be part of such a great organization. That is exciting to have that uh, uh, level of collaboration and excitement about something. So Stephen, uh, what, what's your role with Fuse? You've been with it uh, since the beginning. Yeah, maybe... Maybe I could talk about the uh, the early days a bit later on if that would work. But uh, currently, I um, I'm the global events director. So in practice, that means that um, all of the events we run around the world that that basically includes the uh, European annual conference, the uh, the the new US Connect 18, and the uh, the collaborations that we do with the FDA. Uh, the CSS meetings, as well as the 20 to 25 single-day events that happen around the world every year, I'm uh, I'm ultimately responsible for the, the delivery of each and one of these events. Now, I obviously can't do it all on my own. I have a great team of people um, working around the world on these events, uh, supported by the Fuse office here in the UK, and uh, and it really is a collaborative team effort. Uh, as well as that, I'm also a legal director of Fuse uh, of Limited uh, because we are actually registered as a company in the UK as a not-for-profit not mm-hmm. organization, and, uh, and that requires a, uh, a small number of us to be uh, uh, legal directors. And Jim, uh, how about you? What, uh, what are your roles with Fuse? So um, I have a very limited role. My uh, – and – my participation in Fuse has been over the years, a couple of years, uh, mainly as a contributor to the uh, annual meeting. Um, I got hooked on the Fuse organization, oh my goodness, probably eight years ago uh, when I was invited by one of the board of directors who was also a colleague, Sasha Arviler, uh, to participate. And it struck me that here's an organization that is not tied to any individual software platform or to any uh, company, but tied to really doing high quality and delivering high quality data sciences, statistical programming in an area that was sorely needed. And so I got hooked on and contributing mostly uh, with papers and uh, single day events. Uh, we ran a couple of sing- I was honored and invited to participate as a chair for a single day event a few years back here in Raleigh, North Carolina. Uh, and then last year, the board, uh, specifically Stephen and others, asked me to be the chair of the first U.S. Connect uh, meeting, Fuse Connect meeting, which is going to be next year. June 3rd through the 6th in Raleigh, North Carolina. Uh, it'll be the first meeting that we hold, similar to our annual conference, which is held in Europe. It'll be the first one in the U.S. And I'm really, really excited. More, I'm really honored that the board thought I could do this. So I'm, I'm really tickled to do it. Yeah, well, congratulations to you. That's a 
It's an exciting opportunity and look forward to, to seeing the meeting next year. We talked a little bit about your roles, but uh, what what led to the foundation of Fuse? And uh, Stephen, you're probably uh, the best person to uh, to start with this question. Yeah, thanks for that. So it all started in 2004. So um, I was at Pfizer, as I was explaining back in, back in the day, and um, I was sitting in a big, large, open plan area. And uh, and over the last two years, I, I'd noticed that uh, statisticians went off to conferences. Um, in Europe, there's a conference run by the uh, PSI, and then um, statisticians also got invited to DIA. Um, data Management had the uh, Association of Clinical Data Man Management, the ACDM, and they had their group. And then there was this massive programmers, and they had um, nowhere to go. They, they had no one to talk to. They had no way to share information. So um, uh, I contacted uh, DIA. Um, remember, this is 2004, so uh, I sent them a fax, and uh, I, I didn't get any response. So I, uh, I called them, and somebody was going to get back to me, and they never did. So I, uh, I wrote to them. And then after the fourth time, which was another phone call, um, I had no response. So um, uh, that night, I came home, and I was speaking to my wife, and I said, right, I'm going to do my own. And she said to me, what do you know about running a conference? I said, well, I'll tell you in a year's time. <laughs> and um, I, I, I went back in the following day, and, uh, and I, I, I phoned a guy that, that, uh, that I was working closely with, uh, James McDermott, and um, I, I, I said to Jim what my idea was, and he, he, he's very ambitious like myself and decided that it was a good idea. So uh, between the two of us, we then went and contacted, um, I guess, friends at this point, friends, friends and, and, and colleagues, and uh, got about 12 people together. So we went to London, and we basically had a, had a meeting in London, and... Uh, I explained the concept. Uh, we then all went off cap in hand, and uh, and uh, and SAS actually uh, guaranteed to be our first sponsor, uh, our first major sponsor for the first event, which uh, which which really also helped kickstart views. So um, we basically held an event in Heidelberg in 2005, where uh, 270 people turned up, and then um, and then following that meeting, we we basically had a discussion with SAS, and we said, look, we're, we're we're really pleased with how it's gone, but you know we are software independent. So SAS said, "Oh, that's fine." So uh, off you go. And uh, you know SAS have been um, followers of Fuse and, and contributors of Fuse ever since. So for that, we're grateful. And um, in 2006, we held our conference in Dublin, uh, 297 people, so just 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 under 300 people. And then um, and then we started. We we basically went to Lisbon and. Uh, uh, we are our first FDA speaker. Um, uh, Amano Olivier came and, and, and spoke. And then we came to the UK for the first time uh, in Manchester. Uh, we went to Basel, Berlin, Brighton, Budapest, Brussels. Um, for our 10th conference, we were in London, uh, where, where we've now reached 562 people. Uh, we went to Vienna. Uh, last year, we were in Barcelona. And as I talk to you now, we're, we're we're, we're, we're four weeks past our Edinburgh conference, where we had where we had um, 695 um, uh, people. Now, alongside running conferences, uh, we realised that actually people wanted a community, and uh, and in 2008, 
we set up um, Fuse as a community, uh, as a membership organization uh, with 502 members in the first year. Um, very, very um, uh, modest growth in 2009 to 651 members. But uh, from about 2011, where we had just over 1,500 members, to now, where we've got just over 8,500 members around the world, um, we've had exponential growth in um, in membership now each member is 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 exactly that everyone's their own membership then it's not corporate sponsorship at all by pharmaceutical companies and um it's it's individual memberships and um uh, that's basically grown us and uh, i'm pleased to say that the single day events that we actually run around the world are um uh, are attended by about 20% of Fuse members. So um, I put some slides together back in uh, back in October, and so far that year, or so far this year, we had run 16 single day events, and we had just over uh, 1,500 members actually attend those uh, those single day events. And there's another um, uh, another seven single day events after after those figures. So uh, yeah, it's it's sort of grown from humble beginnings and uh, to where it is now. Well, it seems like you certainly had your, uh, your your fingers on the pulse of something and, and, and how quickly it grew uh, in terms of membership and participation in the, the conferences. So that's uh, it must be very exciting uh, to see that kind of uh, engagement by by the community and involvement uh, by, by so many people. Um, and you mentioned and you and you talked about it in terms of. Um, you know, statistical programmers, uh, I guess, in, in Europe and the UK at the time, not really having uh, a place to go as far as conferences. And uh, as far as the FUSE membership, do you see different levels of engagement or participation uh, between statistical programmers uh, and statisticians? Is it primarily uh, statistical programmers? Um, are, are there any differences in, in that regards? You know, we love our volunteers, you know, and we see an equal commitment to FUSE from our members no matter what role they play in their organizations. But I'd like to narrow the focus and relate engagement in two ways. One is is more visible, and the other way is slightly less visible. So when talking about the visible engagement, and, and you look at the raw numbers, and Stephen mentioned our single-day events, there are so many more presentations that come from programmers as compared to the statisticians. That's probably because of the ratio of programmers to statisticians in the industry, right? Mm -hmm. um, but we offer, we offer um, at our single-day events and at our other events opportunities to present to all. So if, if we don't judge a book by its cover, we, we, can, we can see that statisticians do play very key roles within FUSE, although maybe we don't see it so much. When, when we look at the... These, these roles, especially uh, within participation within the work groups. And now Stephen mentioned James McDermott, right? He was a statistician. He's also co-lead of the Educating the Future work group. It's one of our computational science work groups. And um, as a founding member, you know, James knows, uh, he, he kind of has a handle on what people know and what people need to know in order to understand what we're doing with you. So we really appreciate his strong support and leadership and passion for FUSE. So it, it, it's not necessarily 
exactly what we're doing, but we all have a, a good, strong commitment to Fuse, mm-hmm. and we all play a part. Stephen mentioned earlier it's teamwork, and it is. And and statisticians, programmers, data managers, uh, others in the industry, um, the regulatory, everything, we're all working together to make this work. I want to talk about why statisticians need to be involved in Fuse. Chris hit on something pretty pretty important and probably not well recognized. Typically in this industry, and this is Jim Johnson's back of the envelope calculation, but it for every statistician working in the industry on a project, on any given project, and I'm going to include a pharmacokineticist in there too, there's probably three or four statistical programmers working either behind the scenes or on that project in some way, shape, or form, either doing primary programming, whatnot. That's, that is a wonderful place to be if you're a statistician or kineticist. And that is because I know that I am not the greatest programmer. I'm a good statistician. I'm a very good pharmacokineticist, and I can do all of that work. But to get it into the form that we need it into, to implement it into the standards, you got to work in a project team. And it's not a superior subordinate relationship. It is very much a collaborative relationship. And what I have found as a statistician going to Fuse is I use it both to be educated and to help educate. So it's been absolutely delightful. I, I would encourage all of my statistics colleagues to take a serious look at a single day event first and then seriously look at uh, how they can be part of the, this wonderful organization because it, you will learn. You will learn a great deal. And even I find going to the annual meeting, for instance, that, uh, this past one in Edinburgh, I spent probably, I've got a third of my time notwithstanding the fact that I was shamelessly pushing the uh, Raleigh event, but I spent most of the time talking to programmers and having them educate me on pretty complex programming issues. And, and I spent a lot of time talking about early development uh, statistics and pharmacokinetics and that kind of collaboration. You, you know, I've been to a lot of statistics meetings. You just don't find that. You really don't find that. And we, we do here. That's why I like it. That's a huge level of engagement. Do you think one of the goals of Fuse, and and thanks for talking about this level of collaboration between statisticians and statistical programmers, do you, I guess, uh, ideally, do you hope to see this collaboration uh, at Fuse, but then go back, when people go back to their own companies, that they they foster this collaboration? back at their own companies. Um, do you do you think that within any individual companies that things are kind of uh, isolated between statisticians and statistical programmers? If, if it is, I, I'm not inside a pharmaceutical company today. I, you know, I'm being a consultant, you see, you're, you're more outside. But uh, what I have noticed is those companies that do have high levels of collaborative engagement with statisticians and statistical programming do uh, the, the work is about usually a little bit higher quality uh, without a doubt uh, 
they're going to be able to meet timelines a lot faster. And then the other thing I've discovered when there when there is that level of collaboration between statistics, kinetics, and and SAT programming as a discipline, the development program also benefits significantly because you're bringing another level of expertise in that the statistical programmer is going to be able to help you significantly with your regulatory submissions. And they do. Uh, I, I witnessed this last year when a stat programmer actually went to an FDA end of phase two pre or actually, excuse me, pre NDA meeting and was a backbencher, but answered questions regarding the data standards, which is what most statisticians really can't do. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's a level of collaboration that needs to happen in, in the industry without a doubt. At least that's my opinion. Jim, if I might add, um, the, the collaboration, I, I've seen that collaboration. I've, I've worked in both big pharma and on CRO, in, on the CRO side, and, and I've always noticed and, and witnessed the collaboration between a, a good statistician and their programmers because you have to work as a team. And, and I've, I've also Absolutely. witnessed that at Fuse, too, like within our work groups. Like, um, Mary, like Mary Nelson from Lilly, she's a statistician, and she's the leader on analysis and display white papers project, and they just uh, published a paper. It was analysis and displays associated with adverse events, focus on adverse events in phase two through four clinical trials and integrated summary documents. This is a very strong piece of work, and it couldn't have happened without the collaboration between Mary and all of the programmers on that group because, you know, statisticians, you know, everybody, everybody has their own set of skills, right? And uh, when you're trying to define and, and, and maybe spec some things out, maybe statisticians may, may be good at that, maybe not. Maybe programmers have a knack for that. But by working together, you get the right, you get the right wording and the right understanding. And, and so they've really done a great job here at Fuse working on this deliverable. And, um, and, it, and it is, it's just outstanding. And another statistician from Abbey presented it at a single-day event. And in regarding, you know, the collaboration, uh, we try to have at our single day events a work group presentation at each event where we can show off these great tools and and share the learnings and the deliverables that we've created together, uh, no matter what our roles are in the membership. So fantastic. Fuse is such a great conduit for collaboration, not just between statisticians and programmers, but within all of our members. And uh, we just we really appreciate the work, the good work that goes on from our volunteers in creating these these wonderful deliverables. Well, thanks for talking about the uh, the collaborations. Um, but I'd, uh, I'd like to turn it now a little bit to some of the uh, initiatives of Fuse. We talk, we t- we've heard a little bit about the single day events and conferences, but could you summarize for us some of the major initiatives? You've heard me talk about the events. Uh, they're, they're, they're global, uh, far-reaching. Uh, I won't dwell on them again. Uh, I guess the I guess the two things I'd like to talk about first of all is working groups, and then about information sharing, knowledge sharing. So, with respect to working groups, um, so the working group started when uh, we got contacted by FDA. Um, FDA held a meeting uh, with the DIA, and um, I was lucky enough to be part of that meeting on a panel. Um, 12 months later, they held 
the same meeting again. And uh, during that second meeting, uh, key people from the FDA were, were, were scratching their heads saying, well, nothing's happened in 12 months. It, it was very similar content. And um, they realized that, uh, that even though it, it, it was a great event, it was run really professionally, um, it was all about the content. And there was nothing driving the content. So uh, uh, Chris Decker from DWISE and myself, uh, we got invited over to FDA to discuss whether or not Fuse would be prepared to run the, um, uh, the conference on behalf of FDA, uh, which, we, which, we, uh, which we spoke about for quite a while. And we decided that actually, not only can we run the conference, but we can actually, we've got the infrastructure in place through the Fuse office to actually set up um, uh, working groups so mm -hmm. that between the conferences, we can actually ensure that there is progress so that every time we all come together and sit down in March, we know that there's been progress. And, um, and then uh, the collaboration meeting, the, the, um, the CSS meeting, as it's called, can be a point where people can actually get together and meet face to face. But it's not the only time because throughout the year that they are actually working. So that, I would say, would be uh, is what kick-started the working the working groups and uh, and these these uh, fall within five different topics: uh, emerging trends and technologies, um, educating the future, uh, non-clinical, uh, standard analysis and code sharing, and optimizing data standards. So what you can see from that list is that it's not just about programming; um, it, it's it's basically more than that. It's uh, it's looking at technologies, it's looking at non-clinical work, uh, it's looking at data standards. So. Um, into the earlier discussions, I, I would say Fuse is more than programmers. Uh, since then, we have grown to other working groups, such as a, a, a key performance indicator working group, um, future forum working groups, looking at where the industry is going to be in, 25, uh, in 2025, and also there's a working group around uh, data transparency. The other thing that I'll talk about, which, which we're basically li linking with everything, is knowledge sharing. Um, one of the driving principles of Fuse is that everything is in front of a firewall. Um, we don't hide stuff behind firewalls for members only. Um, membership buys you essentially the newsletter and, and makes you part of the community, but, uh, but any deliverable from Fuse is essentially open source. And again, it's things like that that actually make Fuse, um, uh, or, or, or basically items like that, that basically make the FDA and make the EMA want to work with Fuse because because we're we're open and we don't put stuff behind firewalls for members only and um, and I just invite anyone to go and have a look at the website. Um, there's basically a, a section on the top for a wiki and also more information about the working groups and uh, and then resources. Every single presentation um, since 2004 is available. Um, for anyone to search via Google or, 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 or basically look at. And, uh, and it's that knowledge sharing, really, that, uh, that is critical to, to, uh, to the Fuse philosophy. Well, thanks for sharing your thoughts on that and, uh, and, and the, all the different intersection or the different topics and the intersections. Um, it kind of highlights what we were talking about earlier with the, uh, the different skill sets uh, and people bringing and using their their best skill sets. Fuse was originally 
originated in Europe, uh, but over the last several years, it's really extended its reach into the U.S. and, and other areas. So was there a deliberate strategy for growth um, or, or did it just kind of happen or organically over time? I'll, I'll let Chris talk more about the U.S., but if I can just say with respect to uh, having been involved with Fuse from the inception, um, one thing we are careful to do is not overstretch ourselves. Um, we are a volunteer-led organization. Um, no member of the board uh, get, gets paid a salary. Um, uh, basically, we do this because we love what we do. And uh, because of that, we have to be careful about the way that we grow. So I would say 80% of the time, uh, we rely on and we react to organic growth. Uh, you can look at the growth into the U.S., the growth into India, the growth into Japan. Uh, China is slightly behind the curve because we're waiting for the organic growth to, uh, to kickstart. But as soon, as soon as we get that message, we will then um, react into China. Uh, but we, it, we do run a small number of single-day events there, but, uh, but not too large at the moment. 20% of the strategic direction comes from our board meetings, um, and uh, and we look at where we may want to go and and what the trends are within the industry. But uh, um, being a not-for-profit organisation, it does give Fuse this unique structure, and uh, and it is quite rare to have 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 um, have so many people in position for such a long amount of time without. Um, without salary, but it is something that actually does make up the DNA of Fuse. Chris, do you want to talk more about uh, engagement? Yeah, sure. Um, Frank Sank is our membership, membership director, and Frank and I would talk, and we would target our single-day events for various regions in the U.S. We want to develop uh, areas like the Midwest and California, where we know there's a sizable presence of uh, industry professionals but where we really wanted to increase our membership numbers. So the single-day events, which are free for all members, are very attractive and, in fact, is one of the, one of the most um, appreciated benefits of our user base. And these enable us to develop membership and volunteers in these regions. In addition, we, we drove growth in the U.S. and globally by introducing new levels of group membership. Even that was one of the things we did at a board meeting a couple of years ago which enabled smaller and mid-sized companies to benefit from group membership, and it had a significant effect on our growth over the past few years. Uh, next year, in addition to the Connect, we're going to have another first in the Americas. Roche in, in Mississauga, Ontario, will be host to our very first single-day event in Canada. So we really think about where we're going, how, how to drive membership, and um, bring Fuse to where the people are. And as we approach 10,000 members, we're really grateful for the commitment and support from all, our all of our volunteers and sponsors, uh, which makes such growth possible. So what led to the decision to create the Fuse Connect Conference in the U.S.? And is, is this sort of a, a rebranding of the name of the, the European conference as well? Um, but I guess, can you distinguish or talk about how it's related to the, to the European Annual Conference and, uh, or, or how it may be different? and uh, give us a brief overview of the, the program. So what led to the decision to create the Fuse Connect and how is it different? We've had such great success over the years with our Computational Science Symposium and our regional single-day events. Um, we've even celebrated 
a milestone this year of 100 single-day events. So over the years, we've built a very solid membership and volunteer base in the United States. We listen to our members, and we have uh, been continually improving each event based on their feedback. So there's a strong passion and a lot of momentum going for FUSE in the U.S. And we know there's a great deal of work that goes into hosting a conference. But because of our growth, the rock-solid quality and dependability of our volunteer base, as we've seen with the, all of our existing events, we know that we have the people uh, and the organization to create a great event. Now, Jim um, is one of the guys with uh, we, we, we consider having boots on the ground in the rally area, and he is very passionate about rally, about the connect, and his leadership is contagious, and it's just flowing right through the committee. They're doing an outstanding job. So, Jim, did you want to handle that second part of the question? I don't know. I'm blushing. <laughs> uh, <to start. laughs> um, yeah, he is right. I am pretty passionate about this. Uh, the people who are the stream chairs and co-chairs for this, and we've got a great team put together. Uh, they, they'll, they'll, the ones, they'll tell you, um, you, you write too many emails, but basically it's motivation, if nothing else. Uh, we, uh, we have said, we're trying to, we're, we're, first of all, if we're halfway as successful as the European conferences have been with the Raleigh Connect meeting or Fuse Connect Raleigh 218, June 3rd through the 6th next year. If we are half as successful, it will be an outstanding conference. We have uh, already engaged uh, an incredible speaker for a keynote, um, Ian Kahn, and he, you can go look at him on his TED Talks. They're just amazing motivation and collaboration work. Uh, we've engaged uh, with members of the Food and Drug Administration or on our uh they're chairing one of our uh, streams, the regulatory stream. They're working in collaboratively, very much like we do with the CSS. Um, we have streams for analytics and uh, big data. We have a big effort this year on standards and standards governments, governance and standards implementation, which is also becoming pretty astute in the industry because a lot of companies realized after last year, oh my goodness, we have got to get caught up, uh, especially with the binding uh, regulatory guidance for data submission standards, uh, which makes the collaboration between statisticians and, and statistical programmers and even data managers for that matter, uh, so much more important. Uh, we've got a regulatory stream, we've got uh, coding tips and tricks, all of the basic things that you've seen so far, trends in technology, and we're looking since the Raleigh area has is a hotbed for both the CRO industry and a lot of the biotech companies are here. Uh, not to take away anything from the rest of the United States, but we have five of the six largest CROs have their corporate headquarters in the Raleigh area. We've been working to put together an incredible management stream uh, uh, set of papers and presentations which are invited. It's the, the meeting. The meeting will be about the future and about how we move our discipline and how we engage our colleagues and how we collaborate not only within the industry but with our uh, the people at the regulatory agencies. Um, so 
I, I can't say enough about the meeting. Check out the webpage. It's got everything up to date on it so far. We're in the process of pulling, calling papers right now, and uh, you know they're starting to come in. Closing the papers close uh, on December first, and I'm I'm expecting that we will have a lot to choose from for this meeting. Well, and Stephen, you or Chris want to add anything? You forgot the cultural aspects of the beach band music. <laughs> oh yeah. So living in North Carolina is a cultural icon uh, because we have uh, a unique uh, set of music that goes back into the 50s, 60s, 70s, and 80s called beach music. And so uh, it's a lot of the old rock and roll see, but we've got a beach band book for the Monday night gala, which uh, will be pretty nice. It's probably one of the best in the, uh, actually, I think it's the best in the United States band of Oz. Uh, like I said, we've got, it's, it's, the meeting is really about engagement, networking, developing each other's skills and sharing ideas. That's really where we're heading with this meeting. And it, it, it should be very successful. I'm really honored to have two good co-chairs, Jennifer True from Glaxo and Tarek uh, Peterson, who's at Chiltern. And, you know, they're making my job pretty easy. That and the fact that we've got a great board at Fuse is also kind of guiding us along. Well, that's exciting. It sounded Thank exciting you. before, and then and, and now we have a, a beach band playing. So <laughs> that uh, that definitely <laughs> sounds uh, like it's going to be a good time. And and and, and you're right. It's uh, just bringing up the beach band. It's important for people to uh, you know get together and let their hair down and uh, you know just interact with one another and and just you know develop their relationships. Um, in a fun way too, uh, to, you know, it helps with that collaborative aspect of uh, the work that we're doing. And we talked a little bit about uh, how things have changed uh, since 2004. Uh, and where do you see things changing as far as software and computational methods in, in the next five to 10 years? You talked a little bit about a working group that's going to tell us uh, all about the, uh, the flying cars we're going to have in 2025. Um, but where do you see things going? Stephen, why don't we... Uh, let, me, let me interject something. Sure. Stephen, can, can I add something first? It, because I think then when these when these guys add on top of this, I think in the world of statistics and pharmacokinetics, with the continued development of high-quality software and platforms from which we can execute uh, sophisticated analyses uh, that allow us to do a much better job in that arena. The, we are going to move into an arena area where we're looking more at uh, drugs by design that are designed for individuals based on genetics. So with having that computational power as that moves, we're going to start seeing that. We're already starting to see some of that work now in the preclinical arena. Um, and it's just evolving. So I think you're, you're going to just see a much more personalized drug development, I think, in the, in the future. I'll probably be way retired before that happens. <laughs> but the reality of it is with the ad, no, I will be probably, uh, the advent of an increase in computational uh, platforms, software tools, and more importantly, the skills 
of these programmers who are doing this work for us, it is, I, I, th I think you're looking at a whole new era in drug development. I really do. Yeah, I, I concur, Jim, and, and I'd like to I'd like to add that um, we have a future forum work group, and they met a couple of years ago uh, and created a vision looking forward into the digital landscape, healthcare landscape in 2025. And there are a couple of key areas that they had mentioned. One revolved around interoperability, and the other around processes. So interoperability, meaning the rapid exchange, integration, analytics, and reporting of data from across systems that's going to become more advanced. And then that's going to facilitate um, a shift in our processes. As we utilize big data at a faster pace, maybe in real time, we'll need the definition, analysis, and application at a much faster pace that goes along with it. So better, faster technology is going to require process changes to enable the people within these processes to thrive. And it will have a profound and positive impact on the research we perform in the in the new healthcare landscape. So, is part I of couldn't that, agree more. Does part of that include uh, the the advent of wearable devices and uh, you know that can collect data in real time on patients as they're in clinical trials? Exactly right. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. There's a whole new era in in diabetes management right now with these wearable devices where you can actually monitor blood glucose glucose continuously for weeks at a time every five minutes. I mean, if that's not the definition of big data, I don't know what is. Stephen, any final thoughts? I guess uh, just thinking about it, um, there needs to be a mind shift in technology. Um, technology needs to be able to store, transform, and analyze data real time. Um, but we also need to remove tasks that are time consuming. For 25 years, we've been doing tasks such as data conversion, and as long as we've got these legacy tasks to do, then it's then, it, then it's hard to break free of the shackles and to uh, and, and to start becoming real data scientists rather than programmers. Um, you know, the understanding data, whether it's the structure, uh, but definitely the content is really where the value add can be as we move forward. Thanks so much to all of you for your time today. Uh, you can definitely hear the excitement and the, and the passion about the, the work that you're doing and uh, about uh, all the collaborations and uh, work that's being done within Fuse. So I, I wish you continued success and uh, good luck with your first U.S. Connect conference uh, next year in Raleigh. Uh, thanks so much for being with me today. Thank you. Thank you very much. And there you have it. Fuse, the Pharmaceutical Users Software Exchange. You can check out their website at fusephuse.eu. That's fusephuse.eu. Want to remind everyone to check out the Biopharmaceutical Section website to see all of the interesting events that will be taking place soon. Also coming soon, the deadline for the student paper competition is December 11th. Students, be sure to submit your papers for an opportunity to be awarded up to $1,000 for your original research. Also coming soon, the Biopharmaceutical Section Scholarship Award will accept applications January 1st to March 15th in 2018. Up to three awards of $1,000 each will be announced in summer 2018. Finally, have an idea for a podcast or you have a question? 
please send me an email at richard.zink at jump.com. That's richard.zink at jmp.com. See you next time.